Welcome back to another episode of Bias Check-In. Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in. Claudia, what are we checking in with this week? So it's really hard to believe, but it has been both a whole month and just a month uh, since I wrapped up my second online adjuncting experience. And after teaching two versions of the same course, slightly different modalities, um, is anyone in academia okay? Y'all have really been doing this for years. I did this for five weeks. Like, are you okay? Are... It's been a month. Are you okay now? I'm okay now. And I got the green light to talk about it from the registrar's office. But <laughs> um, jokes aside, like I cannot imagine how long-term adjuncts, students, pretty much except teachers who know they are tenure track and about to retire. Are you okay? They are grumpy, but is everyone else okay? Please blink twice if you are. You mean to tell me that paper mill institutions that create crippling debt while somehow also chronically underpaying faculty and staff are problematic? You know, when you put it like that, it's yeah <laughs> well we're talking about this and we've talked about this before there is a bigger point that to be made here about the gig economy of higher education and with august and the new school year coming around the corner this is timely i would say <laughs> 75.5% of college faculty are now off the tenure track, meaning they have no access to tenure. 1.3 million out of 1.8 million faculty members then have no access to tenure. And of these 700,000, or a little over 50%, are so-called part-time, most often known as adjunct. The part that I can't help but still be surprised by is that it somehow keeps getting worse. Like, there's no... We haven't reached the bottom of the barrel yet. Mm -hmm. There's no support or accountability for... They call it part-timers. I call it outsourced instructors because... <laughs> I can only speak for myself, of course. I'm not trying to diss anyone, but I just volunteered. And they decided to give me pliable young minds and a stipend to do it. Like, there That's wasn't kind really... of what you asked for, right? It is. And I'm, I'm still grateful for the opportunity, but I thought there would be a little bit more screening. Mm. Okay. You know? Uh, like there's no educational standards to be met because very often adjuncts are the experts in their area and if you get hired it's because there's a need for that subject area so there isn't someone that's tenure track or full-time that can teach it as well or that has the bandwidth to teach it mm -hmm. so it's very confusing and like again objectively thankful for having gotten the experience but 
we also know that the way I taught that class is probably completely different from how someone else might teach it and the things they might choose to focus on in IO psychology. Mm-hmm. So I think overall there's a lot less reliability for students as well. If someone chooses to take it another semester with another adjunct, their friend's notes, their friend's recommendations, if anyone made a copy of my final exam and decided to pass it along, I hope they didn't, but it's still not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so it shows. Uh, even the students, I had a couple of students retake the class one time to the other, and they were still not happy, even though it was technically the same class with the same instructor, but we keep changing things and taking the rug from under their feet, whether mm. we do that intentionally or not. If we look at college classes as a very specific form of training and development, which we talked about a little bit in another episode, there should be feedback opportunities for course correction. So when students can tell what might not be working and what is working, but having it only at the end of the semester when the adjunct's contract might very well be over, in your case it was, it's too late. And the next semester, the cycle starts again with they hire someone, someone prepares the whole course, they have no idea what worked or didn't work courses before, they get to the end, they get to the end of their contract, and that feedback goes seen but very lightly taken, I guess. Is that fair to say? Yes and no. I mean, even if you take it to heart, as you said, next there's nothing you le- can do about it. There's nothing the instructor can do about it at that point unless they've already committed to staying on another semester. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I joined a bunch of professor forums online to see how others' experiences were going when I got some harsh feedback. Mm-hmm. And even the ones that follow the feedback to a T guess what? The next semester, you still have different students. So Who will need different things. Exactly. My... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Maybe experience, experiencing the course differently in different circumstances, too. So my first semester, I got complaints about the final paper because that had not been a thing in the department for a while. And... I objectively may have had really high expectations for the first semester back on campus. So mm-hmm. then summer session comes around, short sessions, like, let's do away with the paper. Just give me a final presentation. And I got that email. Can I write you a paper instead? So <laughs> I give up. So on one side, it's okay. You can't win them all. Mm-hmm. On the other side, that system... It's not created for adjuncts and it's not supportive of teachers for hire. Yeah. The career path of professor that is looking to prove themselves to have tenure, then they have the whole bunch of um, feedback from students. And that's how 
they prove themselves that like quote unquote letters of recommendation <laughs> for you to become tenure but if that's not possible or that's not the track that you're going into then who why why do we keep this model going and the answer to that i think is just that institutions haven't caught up the idea mm. is still very much that of you should finish your doctorate come in adjunct a little bit maybe work in a lab if you're a research institution and then go from there keep teaching your classes be up for tenure track but it's just not the reality of things mm-hmm. and especially with I looked at what the average national pay for an adjunct is and I can say I'm at least lucky that mine was above the national average even if I was teaching three four classes so a full load which I am not pedagogically prepared to do mm-hmm. at different institutions even with that and with the fact that my pay was above average work teaching for four months equated two months of salaries in industry at best wow so i can see why people don't want to make a living off of adjuncting that's that's what i'm gonna say there so for students sake though what do we do like do we rely on adjuncts to have enough intrinsic motivation and come in bush-tailed and doe-eyed to offset all of the hurdles and just work themselves into an early burnout? Mm -hmm. Do we change the system? Because if we continue having adjuncts and part-time professors that have to have some other form of work, we can't expect them to be full-time 24-7 and the resources available to them need to change and I don't know what the sustainable thing for students is but I do think we lost a couple generations of students by now yeah definitely Um, what are some of the resources that you found helpful when you were adjuncting for the social support I know it's going to be groundbreaking but Um, subreddits for professors and academia Mm -hmm. sometimes you just need a safe space to anonymously complain Mm -hmm. and that's okay because the emotional toll I think is the one that no one tells you about because you now have 20 20 something people that may very well loathe you and I didn't think it was going to be that much but it, it can be a lot after you return your their papers. Um. I think when we've talked about me adjuncting and the our episode with Nick, our subsequent conversations about it, I think that's one of the things that scares me the most. Of like that's where my mind goes because I would hear how people talked about our professors. I think for me, both when I was a student and getting to the other side of the classroom the key is in how you express that feedback Mm -hmm. 
I remember very well the emails of expletives that went around that I was like, okay, great. You just destroyed this person's ego. What are you learning from it? You're not getting a tuition reimbursement out of this. <laughs> Imagine if you could. Now that is the stuff of nightmares. That that pause wasn't scripted. I'm just legitimately taking in the apocalyptic level thing that this would be, especially in a psych department. I'm going to teach you how to be Aww. a counselor and then I'm giving you all of all of the instruments to just destroy me? No. Honestly, the one that is the most gut-wrenching feedback to get from students is when they are respectful or they're just genuinely confused. Mm-hmm. And you realize it is because of your fuck-up. Yeah. So it's not the student that's giving you attitude or the one that's trying to negotiate with you. It's the one that's like, wait, but I told you said this. And you sit back and you're like, oh, I did say that. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. How do I make it fair now? Yeah. Um, so my second go around, what really helped me was to have all of the possible considerations I could have and set expectations in the syllabus. Because then mm-hmm. when students came to me and were like, oh, but I thought I could. Oh, but I thought you said it's like, Mm-mm. no, nice try. But we put it in writing the mm-hmm. week before the semester started. Take accountability or not, but I know that I did everything I needed to empower you. Talking about the syllabus, in this being like the gig economy of academia, how important is it for you to like have had that very structured, very well thought out syllabus to with all the kinds of possibilities so that you one didn't have to like go back and like oh yeah I didn't specify that or oh that happened and what do we do now like with having another full-time job so so much so quick shout out to my better half who is trained in pedagogy and helped me shape it a little bit Mm -hmm. a lot um but especially again just a little bit um sprinkle just a dash Mm. but um it helped so much because it again it depends on how much of a recovering people pleaser you are in my case i wanted to have those contingencies so very i wanted to have those contingencies very well defined so that students could know if a doesn't happen, then this is the plan B. This is plan C. This is all of the things that are available to me. Because I know stuff happens. My first semester, two students were sick for most of it. Others had other events that took their energies away from studying. Others had to drop the class. As long as we acknowledge that our class is important to us but for students it's just one of four or five or six and then Mm -hmm. they have you know the rest of their lives also concurrently happening Mm -hmm. I think it's very good on the other side maybe more experienced professors or less people-pleasy individuals can just say I reserve the right to change the program as we go 
mm-hmm. and they're okay with receiving a little bit of the hate mail uh, when that happens. And when you say you did plan A, B, C, and D, did you, when you were creating those, were you thinking of yourself as a student or yourself now? A little bit of both because I don't know if I want to put this on the internet, but I don't think I've changed my MO that much from senior year. Mm-hmm. I hope I learned a thing or two along the way, but I was very advised when I first came in to not think of my students as me because that is a very easy bias that we all have. It's like, well, this is what happened when I was in class. And it's like, well, this is a completely, mm-hmm. again, different set of students different set of circumstances yeah there's a generation c we i don't understand them nope so looking at the second time around i just try to build in contingencies like okay if you do get sick and this is a five-week class Mm -hmm. what work can you do on your own what -hmm. can we do to prevent you from getting an incomplete and having to take this class even longer now that you're feeling like crap Mm -hmm. or okay again deadlines in five weeks with department requirements were tough so okay what is a grace period how do i give you some grace but also make it clear that but also make it clear that just because you got one extension you cannot take extensions all the time because I do want to emphasize that deadlines are there for a reason and your employer is not going to give you extensions every single time Mm -hmm. or if they do they're not going to be happy about it yeah extensions in life work a little differently so in that case specifically for example what I did was um If you turned in the assignment on the first day, Mm -hmm. great. You're eligible for all of the points. Mm -hmm. You want to turn the assignment at any other point during our short semester? Mm -hmm. Sorry, you just forfeited 30 points by default. Because you just spent those on turning in late. Now, -hmm. some professors will have these ways, like it's one letter grade less... Mm -hmm. Any day that you're delayed, I haven't never met a professor that actually enforced that, though, because that requires way too much tracking. Requires tracking. And also, I always submitted it on time. So, <laughs> Of course you did. <laughs> Wouldn't have had that issue. <laughs> the other thing that if there's anyone listening who's a student... And you probably don't like your professors and that's okay. Because I'm not going to claim that I I walked through the picket line and now I love all of the professors I've ever sat in class with. Mm -hmm. Email your teacher before the deadline. And use hello and greetings and cordially and cheers best, whatever Write it as pettily as you want, but then edit and use your courtesy forms, even if you're using them sarcastically, because your sarcasm is not going to come across, but Mm -hmm. your politeness will. Oh, yeah. 
I think I saw an email from a student, not your student, like when I was a student. Um, and they were just like, this, that. What do I do? <laughs> like, hello, hope your weekend is going well. Sorry for the late email regarding the thing that is due in 12 hours. All your questions, not just like, and what do you expect me to do now? <laughs> it's it's that kind of attitude. Like, ooh, no. It's like, this is this has always been your problem and it's not going to become mine because of this urgency. Uh, yeah. I had one faculty when I was a student. Again, they had tenure then, they have tenure now. I don't know if I will have the goals to do this as an adjunct. Um, if my livelihood depended on adjuncting. But they had it in the syllabus. If your email is not grammatically correct or polite enough to show your grandparents' friends, I'm not answering it. Try again. <laughs> I love it. But when it comes to boasting to friends about your grandchildren, it better be airtight, just like the syllabus. I think freshman orientation or like the freshman class you have to take, I understand why. Y'all have the, those courses. But when I got to freshman year and I was like, I'm taking a class on how to be a freshman. And then they showed us how to write emails properly. And I was, remember there was a sheet and everything. It was like proper greeting. Body of email with this, this, that, that subject needs to include the class you're talking about <laughs> and who you are. And why you're talking to them. And then cordially best. Whatever, what you were saying. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. But still. Too funny. But with so, that. But with that. Other resources that can be very useful. Um, besides the emotional support. I hope we just provided you at least a couple minutes of dry laughs. Uh, absolutely 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 I know that's one of my crutch words in this podcast but I cannot stress this one enough talk to other faculty in my case I was going back to my alma mater so talking to a lot of the same faculty that did mentor me when I was there as a student also to talk to others in your field for intro to IO psychology we definitely wish I found out about this one before I wrote my whole syllabus. But PSYOP has template syllabi based on different textbooks. Yeah. Look how helpful. <laughs> Look at that. Look at those. Evaluate those textbooks. For me, I emailed my graduate program director. Hi, Nick. Um, Hi. What textbook do you use? And it turned mm -hmm. out that he used the same I wanted to use. Great. Just get those kind of little reinforcements or not so little reinforcements. Ask people, do you have a case study? I remember how embarrassed I was to ask this. Hi, Preston. Hi. <laughs> but remember that no matter how new your class might be, it's been taught somewhere else by someone else that you probably look up to. So 
reach out, share, and just give credit to those resources, and then it's fine. Just don't try to use them as your own. And yes, now you can use Claudia as a resource too. Yes, so you know how to get in touch with us. By now, you may have seen my name pop up a little bit alongside this podcast. So slide into the DMs and it's perfectly fine. And just in case this is for some reason the first episode you're tuning in and you don't know how to slide into our DMs because Instagram just messed up royally and is trying to turn into TikTok 2.0, slide into our DMs on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Bias Check-In Podcast. Send us an email so I can send you all of the PDFs at biascheckin at gmail.com. Leave us a voice note without breaking FERPA rules, please, about your students on anchor.fm. And if your adjunct stipend is also above the national average, feel free to leave us a tip for coffee or to connect us with someone that can sponsor us. We'd love to hear from you. I'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. Break a leg. Thank <laughs> you.